Welcome to the Good Fiction Podcast. Join us as we continue with Things That Charlie Did, Chapter 28. They spoke in hushed tones after Charlie explained where it was that they were now parked. Strange, the city of one million people made the fact that they were sitting in the parking lot of the school where Maria taught way too much of a coincidence. Other things struck him as strange, too. If Maria was trying to do as she had helped to do in Cuidad Norte and San Miguel, she wasn't working in anywhere near the same sort of neighborhood. The children who attended this school were by no means poor, judging by the surroundings. It just didn't fit into the thinking even Father Guerrero had had about the reason for Maria's leaving home and going abroad. Could Guerrero also have been wrong about the feelings he suspected Maria had for Charlie? The entire situation was looking more and more, yes, there was that word again, bizarre, as they sat in the parking lot whispering. The school bus was left along the curbside, and they watched a man get out, looking rather angry. He was slightly hunched forward and walked with the quick walk of someone who was perturbed. They could only guess, but maybe they were seeing a man mad that he had been outfoxed earlier in the evening. We need to talk to Maria, whispered Charlie. We go first thing in the morning back to here and find out what's going on, responded Carlos. You think we should follow this guy? They watched him as he walked away from the bus. He was walking toward the parking lot where they were now quietly sitting. He's coming over here, said Charlie in a whisper that wasn't hushed anymore. They hadn't noticed the lone car that was parked in the very back of the school's parking lot. He's gonna see us, said Charlie. He felt something he hadn't felt in a long time. Not only was Bizarre back, but he felt dread again. It only made sense. The guy driving the bus wouldn't have been in his own car. That had to have been parked somewhere around the school. In their excitement, they simply missed the dark-colored car that sat empty in the back of the darkened lot. The man walked toward the parking lot, cutting across the grass that separated the street and the waiting cars. About halfway through his short trip, he spotted Charlie and Carlos sitting there looking at him. He froze like a deer stuck in the headlights of oncoming traffic. It was then only from the slight illumination of the light that lit the name of the school on its concrete walls that Charlie got a clear look at the man that had been following them. He was balding, short, and continued to hunch at the shoulders. He'd seen that man before. It was the mortician from Cuidad Norte, that squirrely little guy that had handled the funerals for the two workers that the Santiago's had killed during the construction of the library. As quickly as he froze, he took off running in the opposite direction. Charlie and Carlos took off after him, like a natural reaction, actually. They needed to talk to this guy. Things were just way too weird. The squirrely-looking mortician's look were deceiving, 
He ran like the deer he had resembled when he froze, cutting left into the street, then left again. In sharp, angled turns, he was now ducking between houses. Carlos was much faster than Charlie, and without them saying anything to one another, Carlos followed the squirrel's direct route, and Charlie turned left to run between the other side of the house, hopefully to cut him off. Unfortunately, it didn't work. He ran up on a chain-link fence where a dog was barking wildly. To his left, the squirrel was dashing through the next yard. Carlos hopped the fence and ignored the small fox terriers yelping and snapping at his feet as he hopped over the fence and continued after the man. Charlie knew Cuidad Norte's friendly mortician would eventually be trying to work his way back toward his car. That was really going to be his ultimate escape, so he decided to head back there and let Carlos continue the pursuit. Once back in the parking lot, he positioned the rental car directly in front of the mortician's car to keep him from being able to drive off. The hunch paid off. It wasn't long before Charlie saw the mortician appear on the street and start heading toward the parking lot at a full sprint. It took him until he made it almost all the way to the parking lot where he saw his car blocked by the car he'd previously been following. There was that freeze again. He froze while thinking of what to do. Carlos had to have been tight on his heels. Any second could bring him around the side of the house and right up to the squirrely man's back as he stood in the street deciding what to do. He turned and looked behind him suddenly. He must have heard Carlos' footsteps because he bolted towards the cars in a full sprint. As far as he knew, there was no one in either car he was sprinting towards. Charlie couldn't believe the guy's guts. In nothing, he was jumping in his car, despite the fact that Charlie was sitting in the driver's seat of his car. The only light was not enough to show much, but surely he saw Charlie sitting in the car. Even if he did, it didn't seem to matter. Charlie barely caught the figure of Carlos sprinting towards them. The faint light of the dashboard indicators were enough to light the squirrel's face, just enough for Charlie to see the determined expression on his face. It was strange to see the frail little funny man looking so enraged. His teeth were showing as he threw the car into drive. Smoke, squealing tires, and even a more grotesque look on the squirrel's face flooded Charlie's senses. Everything happened with enough speed that there wasn't time to react in any way, let alone to think. The squirrel's front bumper was only inches away from the rental car's passenger door before it slammed into it. The rental car was being pushed sideways. Charlie quickly fumbled with the ignition in an attempt to start his car. He was unable to do so before the squirrel somehow backed up and came screeching toward him again. This time, his car was slammed into with even more force than the first time. By this time, Carlos had made it to the driver's side of the squirrel's car. 
He reached in as the creepy little mortician put the car into reverse once more in an attempt to ram Charlie again. With Carlos hanging out of the window, his lower body only visible, Charlie jumped out in an attempt to help his friend. There was nothing he could really do, though. He could hear both men grunting and groaning as they struggled for control of the car as it was turned into a weapon. Suddenly, the engine of the deadly morgue on wheels stopped. Carlos was able to pull his keys from the ignition and fling them out of the car. They made a tinkling sound as they skidded across the parking lot's blacktop. The wheels of the car screeched again, this time bringing it to a sudden stop. Sudden as the stop was, so was the throwing opening of the driver's side door as Carlos pulled the squirrel out by the collar of his shirt and then threw him to the ground. Unlike the keys that tinkled on contact with the parking lot, the squirrel landed with a thud. Charlie found himself almost unable to control his anger in the courtroom and in negotiations. Part of the game is to be attacked and to be the attacker sometimes in order to hold firm in seeking what the client wanted. He prided himself on his ability to maintain control and keep his calm. Those attacks weren't physical, though, yep, but they seemed fake compared to this. The squirrel would have to kill him if that's what he needed to do in order to escape that night. Carlos now had him pinned to the blacktop and was yelling at him in Spanish. The squirrel had given up trying to get away. Carlos was kneeling on his back with one knee in the small of his back and using one hand to pull the man's arms up behind his back to a point where, if they were pulled up much higher, the squirrely little mortician's arms would surely break at the shoulders. He was clearly in pain from the look on his face. The rattled strings of Spanish brought no response, though. Carlos began to repeat himself louder and louder. All the while, he pressed his knee deeper into the squirrel's back. The looks of pain on his face increased. He finally responded with what seemed to Charlie to be names, none of which sounded familiar at all. For some reason, Carlos didn't believe the squirrel and continued to press even harder on his back. This was followed by even more moans of pain. Finally, the squirrel relinquished. It was obvious that this is what had to happen simply by the names he spit out between groans of pain. The names were Santiago and Maria Gomez. What? asked Charlie in a tone that closely resembled desperation. What is he saying? He continued. Carlos ignored Charlie's obvious concern and continued to press for information. They spoke in Spanish, much too rapidly for Charlie to understand, though. There did seem to be a steady flow of information coming from him now, though. It was agonizing waiting for Carlos to finish squeezing the information out of the squirrel. Eventually, though, mercy was shown. Carlos lifted his knee from the small of the man's back and allowed his arms to lower to a point that the pain eased. He still kept a firm grip on him, however. What's he saying, Carlos? asked Charlie once again. Lots, said Carlos. 
He needs to decide what to do with him first. Forget that. Tell me what he said. Then just let him go. Are you sure? We may need him later, Charlie thought for a minute while looking down at the both of them. Maybe Carlos was right. This guy may know the keys that unlock the secrets to this entire mystery. He was a worm, too. Charlie knew the type. Men willing to switch sides depending on the offer. He saw it all the time when practicing law. He also thought it noteworthy that there was a point where he'd help all of them the night that they had tape-recorded the Santiago's. A true worm. He probably jumped at a few bucks. What are we going to do with him? You got any suggestions? asked Charlie. You help me put him in the car for now. Back seat, said Carlos. Charlie agreed. He tried the passenger side door first, but the damage was too bad for the door to be open. Then he opened the driver's side door and used the lever below the bucket seat to lean it forward. He returned to where Carlos was now, loosely holding on to the squirrel. He apparently had given up the fight. They escorted him by each holding an arm and put him in the back seat like an old episode of Cops when the criminal makes his television farewell. Charlie slammed the door and for the third time asked Carlos in a pleading voice to tell him what the squirrel had said. Carlos' head went down with sadness. He knew the news was going to upset his new friend. Your Maria is here. Yes, I know that. Come on, Carlos. What's going on? What did he say to you? She's getting married, said Carlos. I know that, said Charlie. What else did she say? Who, Carlos? Does he know to who? I'm afraid so, said Carlos. Philip Santiago. Charlie felt his knees go weak. A light-headed feeling engulfed him as he felt the blood drain from his face. His stomach felt sick, and goosebumps popped out on his arms, along with a dozen or so small drops of sweat on his forehead. What? He dared to ask again. She's getting married to Philip Santiago. You know him? Charlie couldn't answer. What was this? How could this possibly be? It just didn't make sense. One thing was for sure now, though. If there had been doubts earlier in the evening about going to see her, they were gone. He had to know now. Thank you for joining us. Join us next time as we continue with Things That Charlie Did. I'm Rodney Mathers. Goodbye for now.